Support for this podcast is provided by That Cast Creative. Brand your business and connect with your audience by creating a custom podcast. Learn more at thatcast.com. Want to advertise on this podcast or one like it and reach a targeted and engaged audience? Go to thatcast.com to start reaching our audience. ThatCast Network presents The Beaver Buzz, a look inside Oregon State Athletics with your host, Bob Lundeberg. Welcome, everybody, to the Beaver Buzz podcast, part of the ThatCast Podcast Network. This is your host, Bob Lundeberg, and thanks, as always, for tuning in. Today's show will, will mostly be devoted to football, as I sat down with Brendan Slaughter from BeaversEdge.com earlier today. Brendan has been covering Oregon State football, I mean, dating all the way back to the early Gary Anderson days, and, and he gets to watch practice a lot more often than I do while I'm out covering a bunch of other different things. The Beavers are now, if you can believe it, a third of the way through spring practice. So Brendan and I sat down and we we took a a pretty deep dive kind of into where things are at overall with the program right now. So I think all you football fans will will certainly enjoy this one. To peel back the curtain a bit, it's actually 4.35 p.m. right now, Thursday afternoon. I recorded the segment with Brendan right after practice today and was planning to do this opening segment on the Oregon State men's basketball team's big win over Colorado in the quarterfinals of the Pac-12 tournament. But clearly that's not how things went. Uh, as I tape this, the, the Beavers are down 14 late and are going to lose to the Buffaloes. Oregon State uh, Oregon State trailed by 21 early. It was just a disastrous first half performance. Did show some heart after halftime and cut to six, but you know ultimately didn't, didn't have enough to, to come all the way back and pull this one out. So just looking at it, it's a, a one-and-done trip for Oregon State to Las Vegas. Uh, pretty pretty disappointing tournament result coming off what was a, a up-and-down regular season, I would say. You know, the Beavers did win 10 conference games, which should be noted. You know, didn't, hadn't done that in nearly three decades. But it, it is a historically weak conference. I think we all know that. And with the experience that Oregon State has on the roster and the, the scoring ability with Trace Tinkle, Stevie Thompson, Ethan Thompson, Kyler Kelly really emerged as a shot blocker and offensive weapon. This still just kind of feels like a, a somewhat disappointing regular season overall. The Beavers are now 18-13 and 13 record, and I'm not sure they're going to get an NIT bit out of this. You know, the team has lost four of their last five games, and looking at the resume, there, there aren't really too many strong wins on there. This is Wayne Tinkle's fifth year at the program, so... Will, will he want to explore the, the CBI if they get left out of the NIT? I guess we'll, we'll just have to see what the call is on that. But, you know, there, there is no doubt that this was a very disappointing Pac-12 tournament for the Beavers. Before we get to the conversation I have with Brendan, I want to thank you guys again for listening to the Beaver Buzz podcast, part of the ThatCast podcast network. Uh, you can find my show plus many others on the site. You know, I actually, it's funny, I actually taped recently an Oregon high school sports podcast with Billy Gates just last week at the 5A state tournament. Lots of good boys and girls action there at Gill Coliseum. So I know I'm on a couple different shows right now. And, you know, the, the Beaver Buzz podcast, uh, also available, iTunes, Spotify, wherever else you get your podcasts. So please, you know, subscribe, rate and view, review our show. And now, um, without further ado, I, I think it's time to talk some football with Brendan Slaughter. Red line rocks! 
I love coming to Redline because I like working out with kids, unlike other gyms where there's a bunch of big dudes slamming weights and stuff. And also, it's just a really good workout. Come down and join the Redline team here in Clackamas online at redlineathletics.com. Want to grow your money and avoid pitfalls in financial planning? Check out Chuck Price and Investing Simplified. Find it and other shows on the ThatCast Network. ThatCast.com From Guild Coliseum to Reeser Stadium, it's the Beaver Buzz with Bob Lundeberg. Well, it is early Thursday afternoon. We're just moments after the Oregon State football team wrapped up uh, their fifth practice of the spring. And joining me to talk all things Beaver football is Brendan Slaughter of BeaversEdge.com. Brendan, thanks so much for uh, for hopping on the uh, Beaver Buzz podcast today. Anytime. I'm glad I'm able to uh, make my first appearance uh, <laughs> on the Beaver Buzz podcast, uh, especially now that we got a lot going on. Oregon State sports, busy week, and uh, it's exciting to... Uh, get down to business no kidding i mean busy week busy month it always is that way in march and you know i guess before we dive really too much into kind of uh beer football overall we should probably uh, uh talk a little bit about it. There, there was a really scary moment in yeah. practice today involving uh cornerback Jaden grant and you know about midway through the practice or so he was uh, attempting to break up a, a pass play and he came screaming out of bounds and, and crashed what was a head first kind of mm-hmm. into a into one of those fences um outside pro throw field and you know Jaden stayed down for a, a pretty long period of time about more than 30 minutes and had to be stretchered off in, in an ambulance I guess I, I didn't really get to see the incident Brandon you, you you did have a little bit of a vision of what happened right yeah it all happened really quickly you know um, the Oregon State had been running their rollout packages where Tristan Jebbia and Jake Luton had practiced rolling out of the pockets both coming to their right and coming to their left and at this particular instance Luton was rolling out you know uh, to his right and was looking yeah. to I believe it was hook up with Isaiah Hodgins and Jaden Grant came across the end zone full speed, broke up the pass, great defensive play. And then just his momentum carried him straight into the fence. Um, and that's a, that's a metal fence that, you know, and he came in and hit it straight forward and then um, was down on the ground for a while, uh, for about half an hour. We all know the, the ambulance came, they took off his um, face mask and some of his football stuff. But for the most part, Wrapped him up in a gurney and took him straight to the hospital. So, you know, it's a scary situation for sure. No, it was. And while he was down, several teammates, you know, went over to kind of console him. We saw Tajon Lindsay and several other guys. Mm-hmm. You know, co- new defensive backs coach Blue Adams, uh, defensive coordinator Tim Tebasar. They yeah. they went over there very early when I think they realized something was wrong. Jonathan Smith did too. And after practice, um, you know, Coach Smith said he didn't really have an update at that point in time. We, we don't really know what the severity of the injury or really what the injury is at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, we did see Jaden uh, move his arms and legs and hands uh, as, you know, a few minutes after the incident. So we, we did like to see that. But at this point in time, I guess we just have to make sure our thoughts are with them because it was, it was a really, really scary incident today at Pro Throw. Yeah, I mean, you know, thoughts and prayers obviously to go out to Jaden Grant, who's had you know a couple couple injuries and stuff yeah. that have kind of limited him during his career here at Oregon State. But um, 
you know, um, I think Jake Luton, you know, said it best, and we talked to him post game, and he's, you know, he's like, we'll we'll go see him. You know, it's tough when that happens to a teammate, and you know, your thoughts and prayers go with him, obviously. And um, for Jaden Grant, he was starting to play some of his best football the spring. He was, you know, right there with the second team, and um, you know, even moving his way onto the heels of some of the guys with the first team. And uh, he made a heck of a play on the ball, and it just, you know, one of those bang bang plays that happen in football all the time, and. Unfortunately, this one happened in practice, and uh, yeah, one of the more scary moments I've ever seen at Pro Throw, though. No, it, it really was. So hopefully everything is okay there with Jaden. Um, it, it was a very scary, scary incident, but uh, the, the the beat does go on, and um, that's just how it works in football. Injuries happen, and we just hope Jaden's all right. So lo- looking you know, at, at the rest of spring practice and what we've had now, uh, we're, we're what? We're, we're five practices in, so we're a third of the way through the spring. And uh, Brendan and I, I did give you a little bit of homework. We were, <laughs> we were, we're gonna, we're gonna kind of uh, give uh, sort of our, our five biggest questions or observations. I don't really want to know. I don't really know how to put it because I'm not really, really yeah. sure how it's gonna come, come yet. Anyway, we each jotted down kind of five things that we've noticed or have been thinking about through spring football, and we're, we're gonna go ahead and break those down and kind of hash those out and talk <laughs> about them with the, the spring game. It's spring game is still a ways away, but yep. you know we're 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 a third of the it's way. It's on the spring. horizon. Yeah, exactly. It's on the horizon. So. Since you're the guest, Brendan, I'll let you go first. Uh, what Number one on your list. What, what's your top entry here? My top one is energy and attitude. Okay. And, you know, you, you, you got to look at a year ago, two years ago. You know, I've had the, have the pleasure and privilege of covering this team now for the last five years. So I've seen everything from Corey Hall-led practices to Gary Anderson Springs <laughs> to Jonathan Smith Springs now. So there's been quite a bit of that, you know, some of these kids on this team that are seniors have been through – quite a few number of coaches and everything else to see them out there now in year two under Jonathan Smith. It really seems like there's an attitude difference. The Beavers just act like they're carrying themselves as a team that wins more than, you know, the two games they lost last year or won last year, the energy that they're bringing to practice every day. Today we saw it was a little bit, a little bit less as they moved outside, but for the most part, the energy has been high. Um, and I've been really impressed. Um, Moving, I guess, to number two, unless you want to go one v one, one v one. Yeah, we'll 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 go go we'll go back and forth a little bit here, but yeah, no, I I mentioned I certainly jotted down something similar to that, and I, I actually kind of put down that I didn't want to mean this to sound condescending in any way or anything, but the Beavers just kind of look a little bit more like a real football team yeah. throughout the spring. You're, I mean, you're right. Not not only from the energy perspective, and again, that's it's a total cliche, and I almost didn't even want to hesitate. I almost kind of hesitated to bring it up because I feel like every year, whether it's spring ball or fall camp, we hear about, oh, this is they've worked the hardest they we've ever seen them, and the guys look in tremendous shape, and there's so much energy, yeah. and there's so much communication. I feel like we do kind of hear that all the time, and it's almost like it's a trope but I really do believe this that 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 this is actually happening I mean I I felt like particularly on that Tuesday practice when they were again when they were indoors at Truax guys were just kind of bouncing off the walls there was so much noise there was so much energy I just I thought that guys were engaged kind of Mm -hmm. on both sides of the ball and not that there were clicks or anything I kind of thought everyone was working together and it was definitely a nice thing to see and you know maybe kind of related to that is just that the, the, the last, you know, last spring ball under Coach Jonathan Smith and then in fall camp. There were just so many injuries around and they had a lot of guys out and they were moving different pieces around. And I think it made things kind of just tough on everyone because, it, you know, there were times when they couldn't even 
do full on practices with certain groups. And just the, it's not to say that there aren't injuries right now. There certainly are a couple guys out here and there, but they have a pretty large, full, healthy roster going right now. And I, I, I agree with you. I really like the energy in practice. Today was maybe a little bit uh, more down. Jake Luton did mention that. But that could have just been a function of being outside. It was a little chilly early on yeah. today. Turned uh, into a beautiful day, it though. It did. The sun <laughs> popped through late. And, and guess what? Once they got into 11-on-11s later in practice, it seemed like the energy did yeah. pick back up. So I do think overall that is a very good sign for the Beavers. On to number two. All right, number two. I'm going to say, and, uh, you know, takeaways, questions. I just want to touch base on that quarterback battle. I want to get your thoughts. <laughs> that was Bob. my number one, so go so, go right into it. So, yeah, I mean, right now, you know, I've got the, you know, I, I call it a hot take, call it whatever it is. Um, I, I think Jake Luton's the guy right now. And for a lot of Oregon State fans that, you know, um, have been kind of, you know, heard about Tristan Jebbia, right, for over almost a year now, right, or it's nine months oh, Yeah, it, fe- uh, it feels like three yeah, years, right, but yeah, no, right. you're right, yeah, and, nine months or so. And eight, now we're, eight, nine seeing, we're seeing, like you said, these five practices, and when you've been able to look and see what Jake Luton's been able to do uh, in addition to Jebbia, not that one guy's been, you know, really, really good and one guy's been not been so good, it's just that Luton has looked Every bit the starter of a Pac-12 starting quarterback these first five weeks. Demeanor, poise, confidence, um, familiarity with the offense. This is as good as I've seen Jake Luton look in a practice since I've ever seen him at Oregon State. And, you know, given that he was the starter last year until and still won games while being severely, you know, hampered with in, you know ankle injuries and whatnot, uh, I think he's kind of, you know, a slight ahead. You know, it's they're probably not going to decide anything in spring even. I couldn't imagine they would. But I would give him just a slight nod ahead right now. He's playing really good out there. I, I could not agree more with you. Um, not that I've seen every single one of these spring practices. I certainly have been busy doing other things. Hey, but, I missed one too. So. But, but yeah, but I've, been a, but I've been around all week. And these two, the two practices we've seen this week, it's it's I would say it's clear that Jake Luton is the number one guy. He 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 really just doesn't have a weakness other than uh, I mean injury concerns. You do right. always have to mention that. But he's tall. He stands in the pocket. He seems to have good awareness. His accuracy looks much improved to me on short and intermediate throws. These throws are crisp. They're on target. They're on point. They're on time. He just seems to have command and control yeah. of everything. His body, he mentioned that he's, he added some good weight and then lost some bad weight. His body looks terrific. He just seems so comfortable. And like you said, he looks like a Pac-12 starting quarterback. And, and- yeah, no, and just kind of going along that, I mean, just his, just the way he speaks with us media. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, today, you know, um, you, you see a quarterback that comes over that's, you know, laughing with us, sharing jokes with us. He uh, wants me to go run routes yeah, for him, which he, would be a he, disaster. Yeah, I mean, Bob, he was asking you and I to get out there and run some routes. And I know. I'm like, I wouldn't find much success. You, <laughs> on the other hand, maybe a little bit, I might be able to catch one. Because we know that's coming out of Jake Luton's arm like a rocket. Yeah, I'm not sure he needs uh, uh, someone with a 5'9", 40", and questionable <laughs> hands and really, really questionable work ethic as well. So I'm probably not the best target for him. But, you know, I mean, to, to say all of this, I, it's not that uh, Tristan Jebbia has looked bad. He's looked just fine. I just I think that what we've seen from Luton is just maybe taking that next step and, and what you would really want to see from a, such an experienced veteran guy. And, you know, I know that looking at recruiting rankings and everything – 
Tristan Jamis, four-star yeah. recruit, the pedigree. He was, uh, I believe by the time he graduated, was the all-time leading passer in California high school history. Yep. Goes to Nebraska, has all these accolades, gets beat out by a by a, a quarterback that Scott Frost, you know, handpicked to run his system. So I understand all of this, and the pedigree of Jebbia is certainly impressive. And I think that he, he could easily have a very good career one day. And he might even be the game one starter for Oregon State. We, we don't know. But with what we've seen through spring practice, and also I think what Jake Luton showed us last year, because, I mean, let's be honest, Jake Luton wasn't the problem on offense. When, when he was healthy and got protection, he played just fine. So I, I, to me, it looks like Jake Luton, I, I'll say it, I think he's clearly the number one quarterback at this point. You know, we're still, what, third of the way through spring, so a lot can change. But I, I think Luton's the guy. Well, as, you know, you and I were talking today at practice, and, and I said, you know, it wouldn't also surprise me if spring wraps up and Tristan Jebbia has an unbelievably good May, June, July, and comes in and rolls. You know, because yeah. you got to figure he doesn't know the playbook as well as Jake does. And very fair point. And, I, and yeah. still getting his feet, you know, under him, so to speak, as a beaver. I know he ran scout team last year, but... You know, we talked to Avery Roberts earlier in the week. He said, you know, scout team to first team. That's a huge, huge mm-hmm. jump for what guys are asked to know, what guys are asked to, you know, learn in terms of the nuances of the playbook. So with that being said, I think it's way too early to, you know, settle things in. But right now, Jake coming out of spring, you know, doing all this after applying for this six year, I don't think things could be going any better for him. And I'm, you know, and it's great to see because Jake's one of those guys you just love to root for. Yeah, he's he's a really great guy. He's been around a long time. Things have not always gone his way. And, you know, it seems like for me, from my standpoint, he's kept a really good attitude throughout it all. Yeah. And, and, I mean, we're media people. We're not rooting for anybody. I mean, trust. We're, 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 no. we're, just, we're just out here. We want whatever is going to make the practice end sooner so we can go <laughs> get on with our lives. But, but Jake, Jake is a very easy guy to root for. And with what we've seen so far, he's, I think he's having a tremendous spring, ball, spring session. It, it, just, it would not surprise me if he ends up being the starting quarterback. Moving right along to number three. To number three. All right. Um, I, I just I, it's interesting because now that we're in day five, I noticed that the rotations are starting to tightening up, tighten okay. up a little bit. Um, you know, compared to the first couple days, we saw clear defined first, second, and third teams. Now we're really only seeing first and second teams. That third team, I think, is starting to kind of fizzle out a little bit, and I think they'll probably do some more scrimmage stuff in the final half of, you know, you figure you got a spring game, you got the scrimmage at Mountainside, some more 11-on-11 11 11 stuff, and I think this may be first six sessions, five sessions, six five sessions. Five sessions we've seen, yeah. Um, is just kind of, like they said, Elu Aiden said it today, figuring out where they are, right? And now that they kind of know all that, I, you know, I expect to see the rotations tighten up. We're really, I would assume for the rest of spring, really going to look at Luton and Jebbia being the primary quarterbacks that take reps. We'll probably see, you know, um, B.J. Baylor, Artavis Pierce, Jamar Jefferson round out the running backs. You know, today you saw Isaiah Hodgins, Trayvon Bradford taking a lot of reps at receiver. So I think that they're kind of starting to identify the guys that are going to play big mi- or you know big snaps and are starting to you know get those guys those reps early and we can see it starting to pay off. You know, it's interesting because on one hand, spring practice it seems like you would want to do things almost totally differently, right? Where you don't have games to worry about the next week. You're months away from your first game. Maybe you want to get eyes on as many people as possible and put them in tons of different situations and work with a lot of different rotations and just kind of see overall what you've got. But then I also I also can understand the other end of the, of the spectrum where, yeah, you know, early on you want to do things that way. 
a certain point in time, you got to get things a little bit tightened up and yeah. you got to figure out who are the main guys, who are the guys we're going to be riding. And these are the guys that need to get, you know, the lion's share of the reps, especially when we go 11 on 11s, like you were mentioning. I guess what, where do you think, I mean, Coach Smith and maybe some of the coaching staff does stand on this? Because I, I remember too, back in, back in the fall, you would definitely see a lot of different guys that yeah. they're just like, you know, there's, there's really no way, barring major injuries, that they're going to really be seeing any snaps on Saturdays. A lot of those guys would get a lot of 11 on 11 reps pretty, pretty deep, yeah. you know, in, into fall. Whereas now even maybe in spring, they're even tightening, tightening up those rotations more. I guess, where do you kind of think the coaching staff is at overall on that? Well, it's, it's it, you know, the more and more I think about it, it, when you look back at last year, you see how they played a lot of situations. And I think they kind of knew that year one was going to Gonna, gonna suck. I'm just gonna throw it out there. And I think they knew it was gonna not be great. And now you see things transitioning a little bit. You're seeing different tweaks in how they operate, different tweaks in, you know, how they're running the business. And now that they have, you know, depth and playmaking, you know, there's a long way to go, right? Mm -hmm. They have a long way before that first game against Oklahoma State. And, you know, it kind of segues into my next point, but I well, think... Hold, hold on. Hold on to your next point. I need to make my third point. Okay, okay, okay. All right. Did, did, you, did you have something else to wrap up there? I didn't want to cut you no, off. No, no. I, I got to no, make a point because no, this one was not on my list. Just the rotations, uh, my fourth point goes into defense, and I think okay. more than anything we're starting to see Oregon State will be much better defensively. It's hard to say what that's going to look like on the field, okay. but they should be better, and I think defense is definitely where they have to start. Okay, well, I'm going to, for my third point, Brennan's gone through three, so I'm going on my third. I know we've been a little all over the place here, but, you know, well, we're, we're doing the best we can. I'm On the defensive side, I just, I want to know, will the defensive line be improved? Because, yeah, uh, I'd say uh, on a defense full of issues last season, uh, the defensive line was probably the weakest spot out there. You know, porous run defense for the most part not a lot of pass rush and you know not 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 a lot of depth on the defensive line either it was just it, it it was it was tough on the Beavers for a lot of last season, I think. And you know we've got Elliot, and he's he's back for his senior year. Just talked to him again today. He's beefed up a lot. He, he's listed at 385 pounds. That might be a little heavy. I'm not sure he's actually that big, but he's a big. He's definitely a large yeah. figure in the interior. He, big I think dude. He, He's a big dude, and he's just—he's going to need to be a difference maker, which he was at times last season. But he's going to have to be more consistent. Uh, Jeremy Reichner—he uh, hasn't been practicing. Oregon State is absolutely going to need him. Yep. Uh, true sophomore Isaac Hodgins. You know, he, he, was a, he was a very positive impact player last year as a true freshman. I think the Beavers are going to need big things from him again. And, you know, there, there's some also there's some newcomers. You got, what, Jordan Whitley, Simon Sandberg, junior yep. college guys. They're going to need to make, they're, they're gonna need to make impacts, I guess. I don't know kind of what Oregon State's defensive line is going to look like, but I know the Beavers are going to need to, need to be a lot better there if they're going to have success. Well, I mean, you know, I, I hate to, I hate to, you know, quote Gary Anderson, but <laughs> but you know, for what it's worth, the man did say that football games, you know, it's not he that even first said it, but I believed in his message that if you're going to win games, you got to win the lines of scrimmage. And Oregon State hasn't won the defensive line of the scrimmage in a season consistently since Mike Riley was here. Yeah. And that's just, that's fact, you know, and I, you know, whether it's been lack of players, lack of depth, lack of scheme, lack of good coaching, you can go any which different ways, it hasn't happened. So now yeah. it's kind of time where you got to put up or shut up a little bit. And that's where this defense, you know, you know, Tim Tibisar, they had a forgettable first year, you know, obviously Oregon State rebuilding, you kind of give it a wash, but Oregon State had the second worst defense in all of college football last year. 
only to Connecticut. Total yards? Total scoring. yards. Total yards. I don't really care what stat we look at. And, it was bad across the board. And it's not great, right? So you look at that and you're like, okay, this either needs to go up or then, you know, pressure starts to shift on recruiting and on Tim Tibisar as a defensive coordinator, right? So now I think as you're starting to see this year, we've seen him say they're introducing more schemes in their playbook. They have better depth. The line looks like it has you know, bodies and guys that can actually rotate. I think Elu Aiden said 18 guys or something. That's what he said today. 18 so, defensive linemen, which is a big, big step up I think up it was about eight last year. last year, if I remember correct. Eight, maybe even less than that. In in terms of rotation, it might it was probably yeah, but, fewer than yeah, eight. Yeah, because they'd go two, three down linemen and have three guys. So it might have been six or seven. Regardless, yeah, um, yeah no, I, I agree 100%. The D-line needs to be better if they're going to win games. Yeah, the Beavers need to be better in the trenches. Everybody knows that. Point number four for Mr. Slaughter. Is that I think the defense is going to be improved. You know, we've, oh, we've, we've seen. Oh, I like that. Okay. We've seen, you know, um, bits and pieces of what things are looking like in terms of um, how the defense is starting to shake itself out. And I like the depth. I think, you know, whether you're talking about depth, the defensive line, uh, much better depth at linebacker now that you have, you know, guys like Avery Roberts stepping in, uh, Addison Gums as an outside linebacker. Um, and then you go to the def- and defensive backfield, you know, Isaiah Dunn's looking good here early in spring. So is Caleb Hayes looking like he's much improved after his redshirt freshman season a year ago. Um, if they stay healthy, and obviously we saw an injury today to a secondary player in Jaden Grant where Oregon State needs all the depth they can get in the back end. Um, uh, you know, uh, it's hard to say what success is going to look like, but there's no doubt they will be better. True. I, I definitely think there, there's no doubt they will be better because I'm not sure how you could actually be worse. I mean, there, again, there's, there's no sugarcoating this. They could the be the worst. The Beavers, were, the Beavers were awful on defense last season. We all know it. And this kind of is related to what my fourth point was, which was uh, regarding Tim Tebisar's just his defensive scheme overall. And because you know, like, like many people, you know, last year I, I watched them. And they, they often kind of did the same thing over and over again and often to, to no avail. And it's just that the 3-4 the scheme, which, you know, there's a lot of positives to it. You know, you definitely get more speed on the field. And if you don't have as many defensive linemen in terms of depth purposes and you have a lot of linebackers, it's a good way to kind of mitigate some issues there. So I, I understand why a lot of coaches use it. I understand why it's popular. But the 3-4 is not always my personal favorite scheme. Just because I, I think that it requires a very, uh, there's a very certain type of defensive lineman that it takes to run the scheme effectively. And not to pull this card, I, I hate it when people always talk about, you know, their playing days and all that. But back all the way decades ago, back when I played high school football, yeah. I, I'm going to go here. Sorry. We, we ran a 3-4. And what often happened is our D linemen simply weren't good enough to they weren't good enough in the scheme they just weren't either you know they weren't big enough they weren't strong enough and hey I'll be openly honest I was one of those defensive linemen they routinely got blown up at the line of scrimmage because there were only three of us and what would happen is when you have five offensive linemen and three down linemen the linebackers just routinely would get swallowed up because those those bodies on the defensive line they, they're not able to take up the blockers the, the the blockers and it's just like unless you have just three total studs up front 
I, you know, I really don't like the 3-4 scheme that much. It, it requires that ma- that giant mammoth defensive tackle, which you know Elu might be, but he hasn't always been that throughout his career. And those defensive ends, they just have to be special players. They have to be big guys and right. athletes that can really just multifaceted and do a ton of different things. I understand teams' infatuations with getting a bunch of linebackers on the field to have more playmakers, but the 3-4 just is not my favorite scheme, and it's what Coach Tibisar has gone with. And Oregon State did not have the personnel to run a 3-4 last year and yet stuck with it, often ran so many two down lineman sets while while just you know they couldn't stop the run and it just for me it was interesting to watch because I thought that adjustments could have been made to try to do some things differently and I wasn't sure that we saw too many adjustment adjustments it seemed like it was a lot of doing the same thing over and over again and just kind of hoping people were going to play better and it just didn't seem like that was happening so I, I think this is a really big year for Tim Tebisar yeah. maybe you know maybe we're going to see the 3-4 work to perfection now maybe uh, maybe they've got some new guys in that re- they really like and fit the system maybe people are more comfortable in it right. and, and kind of like you mentioned it, things can't really go down from here so I do expect the defense to be better I'm just not sure how much better right and and, and you know you, you kind of look at it and I, I'm going to disagree because the 3-4 is my favorite defense okay. in, in college football perfect um, I think it's, um, you know, I think when used effectively, it can be a dominating defense. And to Completely. Me, and with that being said, you know, you mentioned Tibisar last year. And I remember point blank, I don't know if it was a practice you were at or not, Bob, and I think it was our good buddy Kerry Eggers, the Portland Tribune, asked Tibisar, he's like, would you want to go to a – and Tibisar's like, I can't. Like, like straight I actually, up was like, I actually, I actually asked that question. Did you? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, yeah. so there you go. And, and, and I mean, and, I, Hey, I'm sure Kerry asked something similar to that. No, too, no, but no. Yeah, I, I be, actually, I actually did ask that and, question. And, I remember the answer. He said that they couldn't, he said they couldn't run more defensive linemen because of depth. Now I didn't completely agree with that because I thought that you can manufacture a little bit of depth by maybe moving bodies around. But that's what, that's what coach said. He said that they had to stick with the two and three man fronts due to depth issues. That, and, that's, that's what he and said. And given who the Beavers had as backups last year on the defensive line, a couple guys that were walk-ons or had no, I very little it. talent, no disrespect to anybody, but no, I you get know, you're getting guys in the field. But you mentioned it. If you want to run an effective 3-4, you need to have a game change, at least one game-changing player on that line, right? Whether it's, you know, you look at all the successful 3-4s that have happened. You know, I think of Utah when they had uh, Star Tulele, who's been a defensive nose tackle in the NFL for the Carolina Panthers since the day he was drafted, right? You think you need like a Nodama Kinsu, right? For no- you need one guy that is unbelievably but, special. And, and Sue a, Sue's best in a four three. Like right, that's yeah, right. and, and and you know, or even like a guy like a like a Fletcher Cox, even yeah. or you know, someone along those lines. And or when Oregon had it, DeForest Buckner, Arik Armstead. Oregon had it when they ran a three four effectively in their national championship run. So you know, I like the three four because I think it allows for more speed on the field with the spread offenses. But regardless of how they mix or blend. Like you said, Tibisar's got to produce this year. There's no doubt. No, he does. And there, we, we do need to acknowledge that Tibisar was, you know, he had basically one, maybe one and a half hands tied behind his back the entire time. So he was given a losing hand. It, it was, it was, I'm not sure there was anything that, that Tibisar could have done last year to make that defense respectable. They're just, they, they, they had a lot of injuries and it just, things piled up for Oregon State, and I don't think it was ever going to be a super great defense, but it became pretty apparent 
pretty early that it was going to be a long year for those guys. So we'll see what they can do. Second year under the system. Uh, they're, they, you know, I don't think we really have a reason to think that it can't get better. And we'll just kind of have to see how things materialize. My last point on this, and just because we talked about Tibisar, you know, I, I have to say that, you know, we've talked a little bit about his scheme and whatnot. I'm, I'm just going to go back to Wisconsin when he put two guys from his linebacking core in the NFL in Joe Schobert and TJ Watt. I mean, the guy knows what talent looks like. He knows what a good defense looks like. And, again, 2017, so Tibisar, you know, leaves Wisconsin and says, by T.J. Watt, someone of that level, right, who goes and plays for Pittsburgh and comes to, you know, Oregon State, and you're like, oh, you know, these guys aren't T.J. Watts. You know, and, he, and, of course, you knew that going from Wisconsin to Oregon State, but that's like it takes time. You need to get an Addison Gums in your team. You need to get, a, a, you know, a Hamakova Shed, you know, who is fitting in well. So, you know, talent and getting more talent is just something that's going to come with time. Well, you led in perfectly to my fifth point. Let's so I'm just it. I'm jumping in front of you and we'll do Go, yours last. Let's roll it. My fifth point is are these transfers going to make the immediate impact that Oregon State needs? We've heard all about him. You just mentioned Asin Gums. He could be that exact rush outside linebacker that the Beavers just have to have if they're going to run this 3-4 scheme. Um, he's the Oklahoma transfer. He has yet to practice due to the knee injury, but I believe all reports are things are looking up for him, and he should be ready to go for fall camp. We've already talked about Justin Jebbia, uh, the quarterback from Nebraska, I think he's looked good. But again, Luton, to me, is the number one guy right now. We'll see how that plays out. You've got Avery Roberts, inside linebacker, coming in from Nebraska. I know that he's done well so far. Coach Tibbs talked about that on Tuesday. Um, and then we got Tyjon Lindsey mentioned him a little bit earlier, also from Nebraska. Definitely a speed guy at receiver. Should add some depth right there for Oregon State. Um, just But these guys, I think we all know. They were all four-star recruits, big-name players, solid pedigrees. Oregon State needs that instant, you know, influx of talent. These guys certainly appear to be that 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 you know that that level of player. And just just how important do you think it's going to be for Oregon State to get these, you know, what appear to be big-time playmakers just going right away? Well, I said it's certainly going to be interesting if one of those big-time transfers isn't able to win the quarterback job. And yeah, that would a throw point. a wrench into quite a few things, and I think that would be interesting depending on, on what happens with the whole Jake Luton, Tristan Jebbia thing. But taking, you know, kind of stepping out to a more thousand-point or thousand-yard view, and you're looking at things from uh, above, Avery Roberts is going to be a starting linebacker, right? He already looks that good where he's probably going to start on the inside, and the coaching staff has kind of already said that. Mm-hmm. Addison Gums is going to be a starter opposite of Hamaka Rashad on the outside, right? Addison Gums started at Oklahoma as a true freshman before getting hurt, right? So yeah, we should also note for an absolutely horrendous Oklahoma defense. Yeah, well, hey, I mean, they still made the but, playoffs. But he's still – I mean, but, Kyler, but, I mean, yeah. should we ask him how tall Kyler Murray is? <laughs> he know, might know. We probably should. He, he measured know. at 5'10 at the combine. He's got to be – unless he, you know, somehow – can you get stretched out before the combine? I'm thinking he wore like three, four pairs of socks, Bob. I think they – I mean, you can socks add socks. So. You can get a little time. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I got to say, when I was watching Oklahoma, I never crossed my mind Kyler Murray was a full 5'10". That dude looked 5'8", yeah. 180 pounds. On a good day. Yeah, I mean, amazing player. But that guy never struck me as 5'10". No. Because Connor I mean, Blount is 5'10". Yeah, and I'm sorry for taking us off base a little bit. But, um, you know, you look at those guys who all came in. 
and I don't think I missed anybody. No, I think you, uh, Lindsay, you didn't mention Lindsay, Lindsay yeah. but, but I think, I mean, I think he's kind of, we kind of know what to expect yeah, from him. Yeah, because Lindsay and Roberts are kind of the same with Gums. I mean, Lindsay's going to be a starter. I mean, I, I would be shocked if it's not Tyjon Lindsay, Isaiah Hodgins, and Trayvon Bradford as the starting receiver. Oregon State needs that speed guy in yeah. the receiving core. And he's Lindsay- quick. We saw the 40 times. I think it was last week when they did their little unofficial 40 times. I think he was the second or third fastest on the team. Josiah Irish. Yeah. What was that? 4-2-1 hand time? Yeah. So, I mean, that probably means it was a real 4-4, but still 4-4 is, quick. is very quick. quick. And and. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I think the transfers are going to help immediately with leadership, immediately with bringing in a culture of winning, right? Because you look at Addison Gums, he came from a team where the standards, the playoffs. True. You come from uh, Nebraska where even though they haven't had success, that program doesn't accept losing. No, they expect you go to Nebraska and you expect to win. Exactly. So I think bringing in those kind of guys chemistry-wise is huge. And I think it kind of just helps set the standard. And even if Tristan Jebbia doesn't necessarily win the job, him coming in and being like, okay, this is what, you know, uh, how we're supposed to operate, how we're supposed to – I th- still think the institutional knowledge he'll bring to the quarterback room will be big, especially for Jake Luton if, if, or him or vice versa. But regardless, um, those four guys, they're going to be more impactful than just their talent and their star that they brought in. Well, Oregon State will certainly need that yeah. because they, they, they need that talent. So number five, point number five for you, Mr. Slaughter. Point number five. Fifth and final points. Yeah, I mean, I guess my, my last one, I was kind of hemming and hawing on the last one. My, my Well, last. you can do a couple different things. We yeah, need, but whatever, uh, throw a couple things out there. I was just going to say, just uh, I'm impressed with the running backs and just kind of have to leave it at that with, you know, um, if there's a position where Oregon State should just feel really, really, really good, it's running back. And, you know, you look and we, we, we've seen it, you know, between Jamar Jefferson doing what he does B.J. Baylor showing a little something-something. Artavis Pierce being steady Eddie in his senior year. Taron Madison showing some good stuff as a, as a young guy. And then, um, you know, Calvin Tyler going to be working his way off that torn ACL. Should be back in, you know, end of either end of spring, early fall. Um, running back's going to be a really, really good spot for Oregon State. And, you know, uh, I've just watched them for these five practices, and I've been really impressed They'll have no problem running the ball as long as, you know, offensive line can come together, still needs a few pieces. Mm -hmm. And that was my other part of that point five was that's great. Offensive line still needs to be kinked out because that was a bad group last. It doesn't necessarily show, but when you look at Oregon State being sacked, I think it was the second or first most in the pack. It's a lot of sacks. They were in, in defense of the offensive line. I will say not all those sacks were on the offensive line. Right. Uh, Connor Blount, you know, who transferred out, uh, definitely a complete warrior, worked as hard as anyone on the team, but he held the ball too long, and we he know did. that. So there were some of those sacks around Connor. But, you know, the offensive line, I felt last year, was a pretty solid run-blocking group. He and group. Jake took some big hits Yeah, that's year. true. The, you know, the offensive line was a pretty solid run-blocking run group overall, but there is no question that that, that, that group is going to need to be better in pass protection this year. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you made – I guess let's just jump back to the running back point real quickly. Uh, I think entering last season – Running backs that might have been the area where I think everyone also felt the strongest about the team, and that's exactly what what ended up happening. Art Pierce 
breakout early game and then he got hurt and he, he wasn't quite the same down the stretch but still ran well we all know about Jamar Jefferson yeah. breakout guy you know, so, sometimes practice is fool's gold when you watch a guy in practice do so well and then they don't do it in, in the games that is not what happened with Jamar no. he was a day one standout in fall camp last year and just kept it going I think with Art and Jamar at the top that is just one heck of a one-two punch but really like you said it's the entire running backs yeah. room the, they're the, deep the Beavers are loaded there and that that's a that's a nice spot to have a lot of depth. Um, certainly, you're going to need some help around them. But yeah, if nothing else, Oregon State should be able to run the ball again. Well, Brennan, want to uh, you want to run through the pocket schedule game real quickly? Knock Let's do out? it. Yeah, absolutely. Kay. I mean, you know, it's never too early to make predictions about the 2019 season, right? Let's do it. All right, I'll pull it up. We already kind of know our thoughts, so we got August 30th opener. Oh, it's a Friday. It's a Friday. They haven't yep. listed a time yet. It's got to be a night game, yeah. right? Research? Yeah, I think it's going to be nationally televised. Uh, yeah, I I would assume so. Oklahoma State got orange and black. Oregon State, <laughs> OSU, orange and black. No confusion there at no. all. Uh, Mike Gundy, does he still have a mullet? Oh yeah. The okay. Mullet, the mullet has to be like his sunglasses. It has to be trademarked to Oklahoma State. You got right now, Mike right? Gundy coming in with his sunglasses and mullet. Um. What do you think? What's going to happen in that you one? Know, Mike Gundy's going to come and get a um, you know a taste of Corvallis in August, which beautiful time of the year to be up here. It's always real nice that time. But um, I think Oregon State will be competitive in this game. I just don't see them being able to get that win. Not right away. Not against a very solid Big Twelve program. Being at home, being the first game, you know, you might be able to pull like a Wisconsin kind of a trap that you did a couple years ago, coming off a losing season. But man, that, that's tough. That's real tough. I'll keep it simple. I'm going to go lost there. I just uh, – or Oklahoma State should be a strong program. And, and the fact of the matter is I just – I don't think Oregon State's quite ready yet to take mm-hmm. down that level. Yeah, that's of, a good way to put what, it. Do, what, will that game be close at halftime? Wouldn't re- remotely surprise me. But no, I, 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 I couldn't see Oregon State winning that game. September 7th, Saturday at Hawaii with – you know, I know that Hawaii coaching staff, they, they're, they're, they're not huge fans of Oregon no. State. No. Um, Again, like I said, if Oregon State is the team that I think they're they are, they sh- they should beat a Mountain West team on the road. They lost that game to Nevada last year. Um, you know, a game that should have won. Yeah, I'm gonna say I'm gonna go with a win. I think they win that game. I was gonna use the same logic as you. Uh, this is a game that you would think a Pac-12 team can go on the road and win. Hawaii is a nice Mountain West team, but nothing too strong. Then there is a little bit of a, a rivalry aspect yeah. there. And I just think we saw, you know, Nevada ended up being a halfway decent team last year. The Beavers should have won that game. I, I think Oregon State's going to go on the road and get that one. Okay, we got game number three, Saturday, September 14th. Mighty, the mighty Cal Poly Mustangs invade Research Stadium. W. That's that's how quickly that one's ending. Even for how how you know bad Oregon State was last year, they still took it to business against Southern Utah, and Southern Utah is twice the program that Cal Poly is. I'll give it. I'll go ahead and chuck up W. So we both have Oregon State at two and one after you know not not the easiest non conference yeah, no schedule. Kidding. So that's good. Uh, bye week then for Oregon State Saturday September twenty eighth. Hosting Stanford. I always seem to play Stanford early on. What what are your thoughts on that one? Calling that one a dub. Oh, wow. We're going 1-0 in Pac-12, huh? Yeah, I, I think the two weeks to get ready for that game to open up Pac-12 play after playing Cal Poly nonetheless, um, you know, you really kind of get an ex, you know, some extra time. And I think at home, if Oregon State can, like you said, win two games on conference, come into Pac-12 play with a winning record, I think they could spring a trap and <laughs> research for Stanford. That's, that's just a game I've had circled all year. 
Uh, I'm not feeling it. I'm going to go lost there. Um, I just, I, I think, uh, I think that game might end up being a little too physical for this Oregon state team, but Hey, I love the optimism and you know what Oregon state has played over this run. You know, they've played Stanford. All right. Some right. of these years. So, you know, we'll, we'll see. I, David shot, David Shaw's teams are usually good for one to do clunkers a year. So maybe it will be at Reese's Stanford. <laughs> and they don't always play great early either. Stanford. True. So you never know, but let's keep it rolling. All right, Saturday, October 5th at UCLA. Chip. <laughs> chip, 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 chip. Um, that's a tough one. It really is because Oregon State goes back on the road. You know they're going to be physically beat up after that Stanford game because that's just what the Cardinal do to everybody. I'm going to say that's a loss. I think UCLA is really going to flip the corner with – or turn the corner, rather, with Chip Kelly this year after kind of – it was underwhelming last year with what he did in his first year. They don't. They didn't make a bowl game. I don't believe. I think no. they were five and seven. Uh, I just don't think that's a game Oregon State gets on the road. Yeah, on the road, I'm going to go loss as well. I think actually, I think the Bruins are going to be in for a pretty good season with Chip. Uh, I think that will be a competitive game, just because okay. I do think you know UCLA is not at this point the most talented. They don't have the most no. talented roster. But I'm not sure Oregon State's going to be going on the road and winning that one. So uh, Brandon Scott, the Beavers at three and two. I'm at two and three. Uh, Saturday, October 12th, coming back home to play Utah. No Gary Anderson this time, though. Bummer. Bummer. <laughs> Bummer. No. Um, yeah, Gary Anderson uh, takes a job and eludes the return trip to Corvallis. Coincidence? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Um, I think coincidence. All of a sudden, this Utah game's not nearly as exciting without Gary Anderson. And there would have been quite a bit of pizzazz around that if he was coming back into Research Stadium. Um, Utah lost a ton on, like, a ton on defense, and that was their calling card this last year. Utah's offense is always a inconsistent mixed bag with Kyle Whittingham and one of the eight offensive coordinators he's had since 2012 <laughs> or 13. I think it's like 13. Yeah, so, uh, or one year when he had, or like two different years where he had two different co-offensive coordinators. Yeah. And two, so he had like four different coordinators, and regardless. Uh, at home, I think Oregon State gets that win. Yeah, I, I, I actually agree with you on this one. I think Oregon State will get the first Pac-12 win against Utah. Uh, just, it's a, it's a team that I, I do think the Beavers will match up fine against and coming back home you know I, I even though I picked Oregon State to start 0-2 in Pac-12 play by no means do I think you know they have no chance of competing so I think they're probably going to pick off one of those first three uh go ahead and put me down for Utah okay Saturday October 19th uh Oregon State at California that game was not pretty last year how do you think the Beavers will fare this year down on uh, down in Berkeley yeah I think they'll drop that one um, you know, uh, I'm I'm super high on Justin Wilcox. I love everything Me about too. his program. I love everything about his hires. I love that you know, um, a guy that you know. I just loved everything about it when he got hired. Everyone's like, oh, where's this guy coming from? Right? Very little. Never been a head coach. No. And comes in and surrounds himself with some of the best coordinators. Grabs Tim DeRuiter, who was just out at Fresno State, rocks it on defense. Grabs my guy, Bo Baldwin, from Eastern Washington. Not a great year last year for no, Bo. No, no, and that's, and that's the thing. Is Bo <laughs> Baldwin's needed, needed to get uh, his next Vernon Adams Jr. or something Yeah, they, they seemed like they kept picking the wrong quarterback last yeah, year. Yeah, but the thing with Cal is, is they're a year further than Oregon State is in the rebuild, and that's where, I, you know, I give, it, I give them the edge at home, and to be honest uh, – 
uh, Wilcox, that defense, they didn't lose a whole lot. And they're bringing back quite a bit. I think they're a scary team up in the north. No, I do too. Cal absolutely dominated Oregon State last year. Um, I, I, hopefully not another 42-point game just for everyone's sake, but I, I don't think Oregon State's going to be able to pull that one out. Uh, Saturday, November 2nd, another buy in there. Uh, Oregon State at Arizona. Uh, that game last year was also surprisingly not super competitive. I remember entering that Arizona game. I think a lot of people were actually picking Oregon State to win, and uh, that was one of the one of the rare games that Oregon State's offense never got going. So, how do you think the Beavers will fare down in Tucson? Well, again, uh, another game that was just so weird this last year, and Oregon that State was a was weird game. Just, it's it's like that and Cal, Arizona and Cal. Oregon State were just was just not. Look like a different team in those two games. Yeah, and and, and offensively, it, anyway. Yeah, no, you're absolutely correct. And um, Arizona, we say it, it's at it's on the road, right? Yeah, that's a road game down in Tucson. Beavers have played okay down there over it's the Cole years. Cole Tate back? I think he is, right? Tate's back. Yeah, um, you got to figure they're going to be better in someone. I picked against them against. I picked against them at UCLA and Cal already. Um, they'll get one of those three, so I'll go with them in this one. You say you're going win or loss? Win here. Oh, okay. Because, wow. be, 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 I mean, it's hard to say because between UCLA, Cal, and Arizona on the road, I think they'll win one of those road games. Okay. I picked them to lose against Cal and UCLA, so I'll pick them to win here. I think they'll I get see, one of Okay, those I see where you're going. I'm still going to go loss. Um, I realize Oregon State did win a Pac-12 road game last year, but – uh, I don't know. I Kevin Sumlin is a is an interesting coach for me. I think I've always been maybe a little bit higher on him than I should be. I have this idea that, I mean, certainly from an offensive perspective, he's a good coach. But maybe the, the recent history suggests that he, he, this might not work out ultimately in Arizona for Kevin. It's still too early to tell. But I'm going to go with a loss for Oregon State in this one. Moving on then, uh, Friday, November 8th. Uh, Oregon State will be hosting Washington there. It's got to be a, a night game. Um, I've got it. Must admit, I am not a fan of Friday night games, especially around that time of year. It's going to be a really big high school uh, weekend in the postseason, and I just don't like it when there's overlap between the high school games and the college games. It's just, it's really too bad because you know there's a lot of people who are going to be attending high school games that would probably like to go to this game. But yeah. that's topic for another day. Anyway, Washington should be strong as always. Coming to Research Stadium. What's your pick for that one? Ooh, this is maybe the first year that Jonathan Smith actually gets some ammunition to go against his former boss. I mean, if you're talking, you're talking Washington, right? Oh, we're talking Washington. I mean, you got to figure Jonathan Smith, you know, probably saved every little trick up his sleeve last year, right? But you're so severely, you know, overmatched. Now you have him coming to your house, right? You're in Research Stadium. You, you have a developed team. Washington's going to be breaking in a lot of new faces. Are you really going to go? I'm not going I... to pick them. Okay. I'm not going to pick <laughs> the win, but I am going to say that I think Oregon State will put themselves in a position to have that game be available for them in the fourth quarter. I, I think they will play that game as, so good, you, as, so as good as they play any game all next season will be against Washington. So I'm going to chalk you up for a moral victory. Yes. <laughs> okay. I'm just going to go with the old-fashioned loss. Um, Saturday, November 16th, hosting Herm Edwards in Arizona State. I got to say, I love, love that Herm Edwards. How will the Beavers fare uh, at Research Stadium? It should be frigid. I don't, I don't think the Arizona State likes playing uh, in Oregon. In yeah, th there's, that, there's my upset. I'm picking them in that one just because Arizona State does not play Oregon State well late in the year. Um, I think they have one win in Research Stadium since 2004, and that was Anderson Hall's last year. 
Yeah, I was gonna say so, that was that was a Corey, that was a Corey Hall production. Yeah. So other than that, Arizona State has not won up here since '05, and that was such a bad Oregon State team. Um, you know, it says that or maybe they don't like playing in the cold as much. So they're breaking in. You know, some new players. They lost Nikhil Harry. Um, you know, Manny Wilkins is now out of eligibility. They're breaking mm-hmm. in a new quarterback. It's late in the year, but uh, I think Oregon State will get that one. I'm gonna kind of pull Brandon here a little bit because I think between the at UCLA at Arizona and host Arizona State, I think it's probably realistic to think the Beavers will pick off one of those teams. Uh, I picked them to lose those first two. So I'm going to go ahead and pencil Oregon State down for a win in this one. The The weather should certainly be a factor. I don't know what kind of season Arizona State's going to have. I do really like what Herm is building, mm-hmm. but I, I could see them you know, I could see them stumbling on what should be a uh, not fun day to be at Research Stadium unless, uh, unless you're maybe a Pacific Northwest native. Uh, moving on, Saturday, November 23rd, at Washington State on the Palouse. Maybe, uh, maybe Gage Gubbard will be the quarterback. We're not really, not hey, really. If you're, if you're gonna, if you're gonna give him some credit, you gotta at least say the last name right. How do you say it? Gubrud. Oh my gosh. I'm gonna, I'm gonna hold you on that. All one. right, Gubrud, um, Gage Gubrud. Yeah, hey, heck of a heck of a player. Uh, we all know that. That obviously the graduate transfer quarterback coming in from uh, Eastern Washington. Will he be Gardner Minshew 2.0? Well, I tell you what, uh, maybe not. Uh, I, I saw today that he got uh, a pretty significant injury here in spring practice. He's out for all of spring and ball. We'll, well, actually, it's. Mo- likely out. I don't think they've officially ruled him out for all of spring and this, ball. But. And this comes after getting a medical red shirt yeah. after last year, breaking or tearing nearly every ligament in his big toe. Um, you know, the kid is talented, really talented. Yeah. And, um, you know, he fits Mike Leach's offense well. Uh, I think, you know, I'm sure they've got other guys, but it's going to significantly hurt him that he will not be able to fight in spring because they haven't started spring practice yet. No, for sure. And I, or maybe they just had. Maybe they just had and it was early. Um, but I think he's got the talent. Washington State, you know, I, I think Vegas has him at like 8.5 for over-under and wins. They just do their thing every year, and there's just – seven or eight teams that just can't handle an air raid and that's how they win games and i think that'll be more the same it's up on the palouse late in the year it's probably going to be snowing up there um but i actually help oregon state if the weather's bad but i tell you one thing and this is uh, you know maybe nothing if jake luton's the starting quarterback he's going to have some desire to get the taste of uh last time he was up there in pullman out of his memory interesting point so who are you picking If, or, if Washington State has Gage Gubrud, I'll go with uh, Washington State. If it's someone else, I'll go with Oregon State. <laughs> okay, well, I'm expecting to be Gage, so I'm going to put it down for a loss. But we can... We can, we can. I mean, it's so far away, Bob. We're only uh, in eight, or March, and you're talking about something in our, November. It, you're not making it fair out here. Yeah, we're just having some fun. <laughs> All right, I'm, gonna, I'm putting it down for a loss. Right. To be honest, I don't care who Mike Leach picks it for quarterback. I think... Anyone other than me could start at quarterback for Washington State, and they throw for four thousand yards. Leach is a genius. Leach would probably make you look pretty good out there. Bob. I mean, he'd competent. Pro- he'd probably be like, "Hey, Bob, you know, get out here, throw this." Bob com- Lundberg, com- three thousand yards at least. All right, wrapping up Saturday, November thirtieth, Civil War at Oregon. Obviously, last time the Beavers played there, things did not go well. Uh, you're holding up Pierce two L's with your yeah. I don't yeah. think that one's gonna work out too well for Oregon State. I, I you know I could be wrong, but if last year's Civil War said anything, 
Oregon State's got a long way to go to be competitive in that series again because Mario Cristobal is building a monster in Eugene. And in the, you know, the best kind of a way for the Ducks, they have talent amongst talent. They're going to be playing for probably something much more than the Beavers will be playing for, given that they have Herbert coming back. They got big, they got big goals, big plans next year. I don't see Oregon State being competitive in that thing in Autzen. I could be wrong, but at this point in March – I just don't see it being competitive. Oregon returns like almost every single yeah. starter. And you know what? Their schedule's brutal. So I'm not sure Oregon's going to be as good, actually, as everyone thinks. I could I could see Oregon finishing more like eight and four. But uh, no, I don't think Oregon State's going to be able to pull the Civil War off this year. Maybe, maybe look ahead to 2020 on that. So I totaling up, I have for you, actually, an impressive six and six record for Oregon State. And wow. that is that is if that is if Gage Gubrud. Uh, does play, and you said seven and five if he doesn't. So Whoa, I had you. I'm getting a little. Ahead of I know. So you're here. looking a little. You're getting I, a little what? aggressive, which I. I hey, you're just. We're making predictions in yeah, March. These no, aren't binding. We, no, we'll do I, this. We'll do this again in a few yeah, months. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's it's tough to say because I I said coming in that I said if they I, I expected Oregon State to win between four and six games. Okay, well year. I have you in that range. Yeah, at and, high end, and, but and you know I still think they could win four. They could win five, but and, also things could break their way and they. They could win a couple and they could get to six. It's just hard to say with where the pack is, how much growth they're going to take, mm-hmm. and where. Or I mean, if Oregon State's still not competitive, that defense isn't any better. It's gonna be another long season. So there's just so much that we won't be able to yeah. even know until we see him play. Yeah, and on in that range, I'm also in that range. I had him at four and eight, going with two Pac-12 wins. Okay. I mean, Bob's more realistic than I. Well, am. I mean, again, and I could. To be perfectly honest, I could see I could see as few as two wins, and I could maybe top myself up into five or six. A lot of things, in my opinion, would have to break that way. But we're also, as Brendan mentioned, it's March fourteenth. Um, we there's a lot to be decided. <laughs> we have no idea who Oregon State's quarterback is going to be, let alone a million different things. Right. So that is why uh, I would not take these predictions too seriously. And probably on that note, uh, Brendan, seriously, thanks so much for uh, for sitting down. We went a little longer than I was uh, than I was planning on, but hey, it was fun. I think we uh, we got it was nice to chat a little Oregon State football. I hadn't talked like any football on the pod yet, so no. I know people are anxious for it. Hey, Bob, you and I got a good cadence, so I, I enjoyed uh, jumping on with you. It's always fun to talk a little. Uh Talk a little football and even look at that pocket schedule for 2019 and start to look ahead. Um, It was a lot of fun and uh, hope to you'll have me on again sometime. Oh, I think we can do that. And I'm sure we'll be what we'll bump into each other and more football. Probably no, no baseball for you this year. It's hard to say. I could be there. You never know. (laughs) I'm just kind of like a triple threat. Just kind of like go here, go there, wherever. Women's basketball media availability on Monday, maybe for NCAA tournament. Oh, yeah. Hopefully. So I'll probably be back next week some point awesome we'll we'll brandon see. thanks so much anytime bob thanks Price financial Group, wealth management. navigating through today's financial investment world can seem pretty scary now here's the good news Chuck Price, president of Price Financial Group Wealth Management, introduces a new revolutionary concept that will change how you invest now and in the future. It's called Asset Lock. Asset Lock monitors your investment accounts 24 7, 365, and alerts you when action needs to be taken. And now, Chuck Price offers Asset Lock. At Price Financial Group Wealth Management, we believe all our clients deserve to have Asset Lock monitoring their accounts. So call Chuck today or online at pfgwm.com. 
and learn how you can get Asset Lock on your accounts today for free. Price Financial Group Wealth Management, because the smart investor knows what you don't know can hurt you. Simplify. Call 503-253-3000. That's 503-253-3000. Anna Canzano hosts That Expert Show, the show you help run. Hear the top experts on a variety of topics interviewed by a top journalist. Find That Expert Show and other shows on the ThatCast Network. Visit ThatCast.com. From Guild Coliseum to Reeser Stadium, it's the Beaver Buzz with Bob Lundeberg. Hope you guys enjoyed that football conversation we just had there with Brendan. Um, I know I know I didn't talk too much football in the first few pods, so I'm definitely glad uh, I was able to give you guys a pretty in-depth breakdown, kind of, uh, of where the team is at, you know, a third of the way into spring practice. We can probably talk a little bit more football here coming up um, leading into the spring game, which is April 20th at Research Stadium. This weekend, uh, Oregon State Baseball is going to open Pac-12 play uh, down in Los Angeles at UCLA. Beavers are ranked third, and Bruins uh, UCLA ranked second in the latest D1Baseball.com poll. So it should be a, should be a tremendous series there for both teams. I'm not expecting Oregon State ace Kevin Abel to pitch this weekend as he works his way back from uh, that, that back injury that he has. Um, Oregon State maintains that it's not that serious, uh, but he didn't throw last weekend. And again, we're not, not expecting him to pitch here. So we'll just kind of have to see where he's at moving forward. And I'll try to have an update on Kevin for you guys next week. The, the Bruins are also down a couple key guys. So I do think it, it's going to be a pretty relatively even series. And it, it's going to be a, a good test for both teams. Men's the men's NCAA tournament selection show is going to be Sunday. Uh, the Beavers are obviously not going to get a bid, and we'll just have to see where they end up. NIT, CBI, just not really sure since the teams lost four or five. But anyway, check that out, and we'll see how many Pac-12 teams actually get in the men's NCAA tournament. I don't, you can make the argument it really only deserves to be a one bid league this year, but might get two. So we'll we'll see how that breaks down. The Women's NCAA Tournament Selection Show uh, will be televised on ESPN at 4 p.m. Monday. All the predictions I've seen have Oregon State as a number four seed and hosting in the first two rounds. You could uh, skew the numbers and do mental gymnastics that they might drop out of that, but that does not seem to be what most people think. And really, for Oregon State to drop out of that top sixteen, I just I don't think that I don't think enough happened that that the Beavers would actually drop, even though that was a pretty bad loss they had to Washington State or to Washington, excuse me. So make sure to tune in to that selection show on Monday and we can find out where uh, where Oregon, so what regional Oregon State ends up in, as well as what happens with all the other Pac-12 teams. That is going to do it for this week's edition of the Beaver Buzz podcast, you know, part of the ThatCast podcast network. Uh, thanks again to, to Brendan for, uh, for sitting down with me and please check us out on ThatCast.com, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts subscribe rate and review and i will be back next week with another episode have a great weekend everyone discover the growing lineup of that cast network podcast and video casts at thatcast.com